And I definitely do that before games. I'm like, I'm just as big as them on the inside. Like, I can do this. I got this. No one's going to push me around. And then I get pushed. I'm like, push me back. I got this. Welcome to the 15th episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens, our podcast where we discuss intersectional feminism and pop culture. I'm Nellie. I'm Paige. And I'm Quinn. Today we are super stoked to be joined by an absolute icon, Tariro Kandamiri. Tari has a BS in computer science from Swanee, is the creator of the social media campaign and presence known as Official Lax Girl, the founder of Hama Beauty, Inc., and works full-time as a senior analyst at a top consulting firm. It goes without saying, but she is a total badass. Thanks for joining us today, Tari. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be amongst you guys today. I've been loving your podcast, and I mentioned earlier, it's just so nice to hear friendly, familiar voices talking about such cool topics, and um, we chose a good movie for today. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm so glad you're here. As always, before we start discussing the film we've chosen for today, we'd like to remind you to stay invested and active in social justice campaigns around the country. The fight for racial equality is still very much alive in the United States, and it's been 152 days since Breonna Taylor was murdered in her own home. Justice has yet to be served. We must all keep our feet on the gas and continue to push for anti-racism in all aspects of our lives. Please stick around until the end of today's episode to hear us plug a few organizations and resources to check out and get involved with. Also, please don't forget to follow us here on Spotify and on Instagram at Feminist Fiends. Okay, let's get started. Today we're discussing the 2006 rom-com slash sports flick slash a lot of things, She's the Man, written by Ewan Leslie, Karen McCullough, and Kristen Smith. And also kind of William Shakespeare, shout out to Twelfth Night and Dr. McPhee. Um, this movie was directed by Andy Flickman and stars Channing Tatum and Amanda Bynes. Chef's kiss, loving this pairing. Although one time someone told me that Channing Tatum looks like one of the thumb people from Spy Kids and now I can't unsee it. But anyways, he's great in this film. Um, <clears throat> I remember seeing this film, She's the Man, when I was in middle school. And although I'm super uncoordinated and have never played sports ball a day in my life, I used to do dance. It gave me the overwhelming urge to become an athlete. So while this short-lived dream never came to fruition for me, I'd love to start out today's discussion by asking Tari and Nelly, our gals who have played sports. Paige, I can't remember if you played sports, but if you have, jump in Girl, on this. no, I did not play sports. <laughs> I, I was a band that, geek. I love that you're grouping me in with Tari, who, like, literally was a, like, legit athlete, and I played. No, you're like, an athlete, yes. Barely. I played field hockey when I was in, like, eighth grade. <laughs> well, I was just, like, I just thank wanted you. to be inclusive. No, I appreciate you including <laughs> me, and I'm honored to be in that and same dance. pool dance. with Tari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I did, yeah. t- Dance and also Pate did cheerleading and Quinn did dance. So no, I did not. No, I did not. We don't. Pate did that. show choir. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did show choir, but I'd only like talking about when I was a cheerleader. But I'd love to start by asking you two gals about how y'all feel about the representation versus the male 
versus female sport divide in this film because that was something that really intrigued me because mm -hmm. I didn't know if it was just kind of an avenue that they played up. Like I didn't know, I can't speak to whether or not there's this hyper-masculinization of sports. And so in my mind, I was like, surely to goodness, this is not how it is. But then I thought mm -hmm. about like the US women's soccer team today and I was like, oh shit, it kind of, that, that is kind of what it is. So I'd love y'all's insights on this. Yeah. So part of the reason I chose the movie is one, just because it's freaking hilarious. I love watching it. Always a good movie to watch and I've memorized some of the lines, but I think sports are such an integral part of my being. Like I play lacrosse all the time as much as I can. I travel internationally to play, um, just covered the premier lacrosse league, um, professional lacrosse championship series. And I play in a men's league because why do I play in a men's league? The women's league was canceled because not enough women signed up. They canceled it. So that's why I play in a men's league and I love it and they're great. Um, Sounds and, familiar. And I, yeah, <laughs> relatable, exactly. And, and, and so, you know, I had never, like, I didn't look at my connection to this film as, oh, like, very feminist and, you know, as a woman, like, blah, blah, et cetera. I just thought I was connecting to the film because it was funny. But when I thought about it more, it's kind of a real life representation of so much that we go through. You know, my, my women's fall league getting canceled, winter league getting canceled, and I have to join the men's team. Uh, much like Viola having to go play at her brother's school or pose as her brother to play because, you know, they got cut. Um, and, and I think really across the board, but especially in lacrosse, men's lacrosse and men's sports are the elevated, like, golden nugget of athletics. Um, you know, you think of the NBA versus WNBA. Like, WNBA gets basically peanuts in comparison to the money and the sponsorships and the attention that the women get. And it, it's kind of like women's athletics are brushed aside. So, you know, as a official last girl, the, the crux of what I try to do is like push women's across to the forefront as much as I can, because it's just as good. We deserve just as much love. But yeah, it's tough. And I think that this film addressed all of that in a pretty like fun and I don't know, enjoyable way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I was definitely thinking about uh, the women's, the U.S. women's soccer team as I was watching this and just kind of the language rhetoric like conversation surrounding uh especially I think it was almost this time last year when that conversation was really in full force of equal pay amongst players um amongst like the men's team and the women's team and it's just really interesting because the argument that the Cornwall coach brings up when Viola is like we should be able to um, I almost said audition. We should be able to try out for this team. Um, and the Cornwall coach says, girls aren't as athletic as men. Like, girls aren't as strong or fast. And literally, she's like, that's not true. And I actually almost was kind of disappointed at how much Viola does have to kind of work to succeed on the Illyria team. And I'd be kind of curious to hear y'all's uh, thoughts surrounding this. But I do think that she probably could have held her own a little bit more than she did um, mm. in terms of playing. And I wondered if that was kind of played down for the sake of the movie. Um, Cause like, like you say, Tari, like you play on a men's league, no problem. I mean, I'm, I mean, with, I'm sure with an element of adversity for sure. I'm not saying that was definitely like easy for you to just hop into uh, it, but yeah. I imagine you can hold your own when it comes to playing. And I really do think that like, especially if Viola, was able to uh, kind of cross that threshold of at least being able to pass as um, a man, then like, so she has, she doesn't have that gender 
um, boundary, then for me, I was like, why is she having to like work so much harder to succeed? And I do think like, yes, that's a metaphor for many things. But um, for me, I was almost like, she clearly is very, very good in the beginning. And then for whatever reason that like goes away. So that's a little bit off topic, but just something I was thinking about. No, I agree with that sentiment. And again, cannot speak to sports ball. Although I did play soccer when I was four years old and my dad called me fancy feet. So just (laughs) sorry, (laughs) sorry to like throw that in there, but y'all are amongst royalty. Um, But it did bother me because at least within a Hollywood setting, I wanted her to be just as good as the guys because it kind of proves the biological essentialism that is spouted and touted at the beginning of the movie with the coach. So like when he's saying, oh, well, you know, boys are faster than girls and they're inherently better this way and that way. I understand why they did it from a plot point and a narrative point, Mm -hmm. which is they needed Viola and Duke to be one-on-one. Which, like, why can't we just do that when they're being vulnerable in the dorm room together? I thought that was a great scene that really built up the relationship. But from a plot point and this being a romantic comedy, they kind of needed Viola to not be as good. So, oh, my God, she can hang out with the man. Like, yeah, yeah. So crazy. He's going to save her and help her and, like, help her become the best player that she can be. But she's already good enough. Like, you know, she can do it. She's the man. Um, And and not to sidetrack us, but what you brought up about um, the Cornwall coach – so I'm going to air myself out a little bit and whew, it's embarrassing, but I got to share it. So when I moved to Atlanta, you know, I'm young, I'm cute, I'm single, I'm going out on dates, doing what I do. And I had gone on a date with a person who I'm sure if he hears this, he's going to be like, here she go again and talk about me. But you know what? You know what? I hate you. So here you go. Talk about him. Talk um, about him. Put him on blast. Let's do it. Um, yeah. We have a complicated relationship, but um, we're, you know, it's our second date and we're talking and he's heavily into, into sports. And so he was saying, you know, like we, I think I'd said like, oh, I think, you know, a woman could be on that team and they'd probably do really well, like in, in so-and-so position. And he's like, no, no, like men are just biologically better and stronger than women. Like they're like just better at X sport and better at X mechanism because of their bones and their muscles and all these things. And so y'all know, I love to tweet. I love a tweet. So I'm sitting at the dinner table and I'm like, woo, y'all will not believe this date that I'm on right now. This guy sucks. Like, I hate this. How can you say it? Because I am very, like, I'm very prominent in sports to my core that, it, like, no one can tell me shit. Like, no one can tell me anything about women in sports. And I forgot that I had 18,000 followers on Twitter. I thought I was just talking to my friends. Wait, Next day, Wait that's a flex. Hold on, forgot. 18,000 followers? 18,000 sis on Twitter, 14,000 on Instagram. When you forget you have 18,000 followers. I really did. I was like, no, these are my friends. Um, And people are like responding and I'm laughing and whatever. I'm sure he was like, oh, she's just on her phone. Like, that's weird, but whatever. And then the next day, I guess, I forgot to delete them. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, whatever. The next day, y'all, he Googled me and guess what came up first? My Twitter and the tweets. Everything I said came up. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I don't know how I talk. I like talked myself out of that situation. I was like, well, it just like was really affected by what you said and blah, blah. blah. And like for some reason, whatever. But, but yeah, so that, that, that had happened. And yeah, and that's like a thing that people say all the time. And I think to hear someone who was so heavily involved in athletics say such a thing was like, I know I'm not naive thinking that women can hang. Like, I know that there are women that have played all these different sports there's um Rachel Valorelli is a goalie that I 
interviews who played professional men's lacrosse and like practices consistently with with men that play indoor lacrosse and she holds her own and it's like that like just a pillar someone that I look up to within the game and so it just yeah that was a moment where I was like oh they're really out here thinking this this drives me crazy um and another reason why I wanted to talk about this movie because that was a rough time but anyway yeah now I know don't don't just be tweeting don't just be tweeting <laughs> I hope you tweet about us on your 18,000 followers <laughs> of course of course oh my course. gosh everyone, everyone I follow knows how much I love this movie like they yeah everyone knows so shout out to the Twitter friends listening um and Instagram friends <clears throat> when okay going back to um Viola playing soccer and being bad I always like I'm gonna give <laughs> her a break and be like she was wearing sweatpants and a long sleeve shirt underneath all her clothes and was wearing probably a very uncomfortable wig and was like pretending to be her not herself so like how can you play soccer if you're not being true to yourself spoken by a true show choir athlete especially by someone who has never played soccer because a a coach a coach would hear that and be like i don't give a damn if you have (laughs) 20 inch or 200 inch brazilian wig imported from brazil get out there (laughs) and that is why i don't play sports this is like a side note and then i we can move on to another question but you know, it's like a big thing in the beginning when she goes to Illyria that she can't bathe and she keeps mentioning that, but that is simply just never resolved. Like, right. I, at no point is she like, yeah, I got to shower. Right. And I don't know why, but that really, well, I know why. It's because I'm a germaphobe and that like really aggressively stressed me out. Also, I'm realizing on this Zoom right now, I have my hair in a braid and my bangs, I kind of look like I'm wearing her wig. You're rocking it, though. Thanks. Our cover art for Instagram this week will just be (laughs) you and taking a picture of Quinn right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Um, I was like, how you would if you were playing soccer. (laughs) I don't know what that's like. (laughs) I can't relate to that. So I think this is a good transition into our next question. Um, So when the movie first came out in 2006. The New York Times' Nathan Lee reviewed the movie in an article titled Girl Power on the Boys' Soccer Team, in which he wrote, quote, She's the man reminds us that girls can do anything boys can do, unless those girls happen to exist in a romantic comedy, in which case their ultimate ambition is to squeeze into an expensive dress and get it on with the dumb stud. Along the way, however, there will be girl power to the max, end quote. In what ways, um, and I actually just found this, this kind of take, Nathan Lee's hot take um, in 2006, to be like pretty interesting, and I was grateful to find it because it was kind of how I was feeling, and just to like say this, like she's the man really and truly, like when I remember uh, probably like middle high school, middle school, high school, I would say this was my favorite movie, um, mm-hmm. like if someone asked, this was what I would say, but Rewatching it now kind of through the lens that we have talked about in past episodes that sometimes right. is to our own like demise <laughs> in the sense that we're like, oh dang, we loved this movie and now we feel kind of weird about it. Yeah. But like in what ways do we think this movie was progressive for its time and in what ways has it not really aged very well? What do y'all yeah. think? I think that's a great, you know, kind of take on it. But I, I so I guess when I read that, I think of Monique, right? And and her like quest to get 
um, get what she wants and, and be the man um, and get with Sebastian and live after, ever after whatever. And I, I think now we look back and we know that those girls can coexist. Like, I think I can be both an Olivia slash Sebastian um, and a Monique. You know, on, on these Atlanta weekends, I'm not going out wearing sweatpants. Like, I'm putting, speeding into the tight grass <laughs> and running after my Uber in heels. Um, I, I think that, you know, at the time, the movie was trying to tell the message and the story of, like, these are, this is something a girl might have to go through to, like, make her dream come true. And then maybe that's how it was presented to us. And then now we look at it in a lens of, like, whoa, that shouldn't even be a thought. Like, it, in our heads she should just be able to do what she wants to do and be able to accomplish the things she wants to accomplish because she was qualified. So I think there are kind of two lenses to look at it through of like, in that time they told that story and it was not revolutionary, but it was just kind of a, a thought process people had of, okay, like, oh, it's funny that she has to do all these things to fit in and play soccer. Whereas today we just be like, no, like put her on the team. She's good. Yeah. And I will say I, thoroughly enjoyed this film like there are a lot of problematic aspects especially in terms of the way that it represents and presents gender identity and I would argue that in a lot of ways this film is actually kind of transphobic not to Mm -hmm. say that Viola is a transgender individual however I think that when these are the only things that we're seeing in the media of Mm -hmm. like a girl switching between presenting as a male and then switching back into presenting as a female transgender identity does kind of I mean and it, it is played in Hollywood I mean like you think of Mrs. Doubtfire and like Tootsie like it's played as some kind of decision or some mm-hmm. really like some kind of deceitful guise for the main character yeah. to get what they want as opposed right. to them like expressing their true gender identity so yeah. I think that that's something that in 2020 we understand a lot more than they probably mm-hmm. did in 2006 not to excuse that because I think it's so yes. harmful but yeah. I mean, there are elements of like cross-dressing and presenting as different genders in Twelfth Night. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that's been around since the 1500s. So I understand yeah. why that was a main crux of the plot. I just wish that that had been resent- represented with a little more care and intentionality. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, I this movie kind of lost me towards the end when it became clear that Viola's main goal kind of shift goal haha soccer kind of shifted away from her wanting to beat Cornwall to her wanting to be with Duke like the scene where all the women are fighting in the bathroom at the debutante breakfast that just really irked me and even Mm. when Viola comes in and is like let me slurp my soup I'm not like the other girls like "Mm, I'm nasty I was like this is just we get it. Like, we can see through character development that these mm-hmm. two women do not have the same goals. But just because Olivia doesn't want to play on the soccer team and she's regarded as someone who's conventionally attractive by a lot of men, I agree with you completely, Tari. And I love the way that you articulated that. They can coexist. And they, yeah. can, they can coexist in more than the way at the end when it's like, oh, well, we can be friends now because you're with a different guy and I'm with a different guy. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and what you said about gender identity as well, like, see, that, that's why I love, that. that's why I wanted to talk to you all about this. Um, you know, I, I think that's such an interesting point as well. Um, like you said, our understanding and, and our perspective and our respect and our love for people has expanded and grown so much, at least for the people that have love in their hearts, it has. Um, that, you know, when I was 
14 or however old I was when I first watched the movie, I wasn't thinking of those things. But now, like you said, you can pick up on things where you're like, oh, like, that's not right. Um, or even the, what I was thinking of the trope of, you know, the, the hot jock getting with Eunice, the nerd. And like, like in that moment, it was kind of funny. And I just laugh about it. Like, Haha, you know, my favorite cheese, whatever. But um, looking back, like, oh, I don't know how much I love that trope. So I, I agree. Not, not equating, obviously, gender identity and, and that. It was just, I was thinking of different tropes that also came up that um, would make me think now. Yeah, and for me, um, this was another question I had, but I think it's so applicable here. But I was just thinking about kind of the ways in which my, both like the societal understanding of gender as well as like my personal like understanding of gender has changed since like I first watched this film and like kind of the time in particular when I considered it to be like my absolute favorite film. And I think like for me at that point, I very much associated just because I hadn't been exposed to very much um, diversity in gender, um, which isn't necessarily an excuse, but um, I'd like to think I remedied that slightly. But I think at that point in my life, like, I didn't really know much of a difference between um, sex and gender in terms Mm -hmm. of, uh, and so for me, like, it seemed like there was a, tr- like, there wasn't really much of a trade-off between, like, physical traits and, like, the way in which someone behaved, um, mm. and that's something that was really, both in, like, the articles that I read, um, like, the one I named earlier and some others, as well as just, like, re-watching this film, I noticed how, in something that just really didn't pose any question for me when I first watched it, but was really kind of apparent now, was how, at the end, the way that you prove your real gender is by like showing your boobs or showing your penis. And I'm grateful to like have, like continue to be learning more and more about, but I do think that this part of the movie in particular was like really exclusionary of like trans, non-binary and gender non-conforming identities. And just like in general is a problematic scene like I was just thinking about how the principal basically makes Sebastian do that and I'm like he would simply be fired like he would just be fired yeah like you're fired you're in jail like that's also they're minors right it's sexual harassment to force someone to show your private parts like I was just like oh my gosh (laughs) okay and just I I mean, I appreciate people's comfort with their bodies and willingness to do that, but also it simply doesn't equate to gender, but I'll get off my soapbox. I also just thought it was ridiculous because I remember him so clearly, and I still sing this in my shower, like, all the time. I forgot it was from this movie, actually, until I watched it, but, like, welcome to Elyria. Welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. I sing that all the time, and so when he first came on screen, I was like, yes, I love this dude! And then (laughs) man's got out the bullhorn and said, Hey guys, actually, I have a big, big announcement. Um, this woman is presenting as a man, and everyone in the first of all, it's like a packed house. Like, whose stadium is that? Also, Especially for the first a- soccer game of the year. Like, it's they they don't no. make it out to be the playoffs, not the championship game. No, the no. first one of the year. Also, I know. What was that dance the- team wearing? Oh, I don't the remember. Cheerleaders. Yes, Wait, what? but any the cheerleaders. Yes, I was upset, but I'm like everyone in the stands it like pans around and everyone's like oh my gosh that's so unheard of and crazy and I was like this is really problematic for all the reasons that you pointed out Nellie but also just the fact that the principal feels comfortable outing this person because again he sees this gender representation as deceitful 
Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe we'll talk about this later too, but I'm curious, like if this movie came out this year, would y'all watch it? And what do you think the response would be? I think people would be mad if this movie came out. I think it, at least if it didn't tackle some of the things we're talking about more directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that like, kind of like we were talking about earlier, the connection to Shakespeare and kind of that performativity is certainly, I think, a way that could excuse this sort of action behavior, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I again, I am not a Shakespeare queen by any element and I've not read Twelfth Night, so <laughs> I might defer to people that have. I mean, I'm not a Shakespeare queen by any, like, sense. Thank you for implying that, Nellie. Um, But, you know, there are... So, like, the fact is that when this play, Twelfth Night, was acted out in the Globe during Shakespearean times, it was all men. And the men were dressed as women characters. So then the person who was playing Viola was a man dressed as a woman pretending to be a man. And so, like, many critics, like, have written about that and, like, talk about gender performance and, Mm -hmm. like, analyze that from Shakespearean times. So, like, I think that is very interesting. Sorry, I didn't bring an article for that. We we could have dug into that. Um, But, like, I think that in itself is an interesting thing to think about. Like, Mm -hmm. when it was, like, first written, it was supposed to have this element like everyone knew that they were men acting Mm -hmm. but it was like a man as a woman as a man and so that in itself is supposed to kind of like continue to surprise the audience and have you questioning like the gender roles and how everyone acts um and so Mm -hmm. I think like that in itself is it makes it different than she's the man Mm mm-hmm that's interesting yeah, I almost wonder if, like, the Shakespeare, I don't, when was, when would Twelfth Night have been written? Oh, gosh. Oh, I have the Wikipedia page. An era? I literally couldn't even tell you. But, like, whenever Twelfth Night was written, like, that, I think that this would be considered, in my opinion, from the little I know about Twelfth Night, like, way more progressive for its time, like you're saying. It was written in the 1600s. Yeah, so then, I knew it was around then, but I didn't want to just throw that out arbitrarily, but um, compared to, like, She's the Man in 2006, and especially She's the Man in 2020, I'd be curious to hear y'all's thoughts on if this movie came out today. I think, Tari, that's a great question. Would this movie be, like, exactly the 2006 movie, or would it be updated, like, at all? Well, I guess maybe we could talk about, like, ways it needs to be updated slash, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Tara, you asked the question. I should, I should yeah. let you clear. I, I think that's a great perspective, thinking of ways um, it could be updated, because I think at that time, this was, like, the young Hollywood, not not a superstar cast, but at least Channing and, and Amanda, let me talk, like, I know them, <laughs> um, the two of them. Channing, Amanda. <laughs> my friends. <laughs> Woo, my friends, Channing and Amanda. Um you know, we're kind of up and coming, or at least, like, Amanda had her history of Nickelodeon and, like, the popularity from that, and so this would be an opportunity to, like, have high-profile actors and actresses in a film that can be a social commentary, but also, like, make comments on not just, you know, inequality between men and women in sports, but gender identity, um, you know, like, familial ties and, and just different kind of aspects that are shown throughout the movie, um, so I think there could be, like, 
it would be good to talk about the kind of updates that could happen because yeah this exact movie coming out now they might not uh make it they might not let that happen I think my biggest thing, and this is like kind of a joke, first one, is get rid of the kissing booth because I hate seeing those. And every time I see those, Joey King being forced to run around in her panties covered in paint as like a 17-year-old woman flushes before my eyes. I was triggered when when she said, I have to write the kissing booth. I was like, no, like not again. Like visceral reaction. But I do think that's like kind of a joke, but it's also kind of serious in that that kind of highlights the ways in which the male versus female dichotomy, it's like women are from Venus, men are from Mars, like on steroids. There's no overlap. There's not a single character. I mean, I guess Viola towards the end embodies both genders, but, or I guess what we associate with being behaviors that are associated with, with each respective gender. Um, But you know, like those, she makes such sharp turns from being a man to being a woman. And the way that she gains the respect from her fellow men is by objectifying and using beautiful women. And I also had an issue with the way in which the one outwardly LGBTQ plus individual was portrayed in this film because it is so stereotypical. It's like, I'm the hairdresser. Also, we don't see a lot of diversity in this cast at all. Right. And the diversity that we do see, whether that be racial or sexual, it's, of course, them, like, upholding the white woman and, like, mm-hmm. helping her out to achieve her dream. When it's, like, I think that her two friends probably want to play in college as well. Right. Like, why does yeah. it also, Paul, like, the hairstylist, I'm sure there are 500 million other things he'd rather be doing. Like, this is just, yeah, we don't get any. yeah you don't get any character's arc or backstory and I don't mean to like completely bash this film because it is a lot of fun and I think that it's a film that was kind of formative for me when I was little but I do think to your point Tari like it's good to think about it now from a 2020 context and be like when I first saw this I was eight like it came out when I was eight years old and so I kind of owe it to myself to reanalyze now as like a 22 year old woman also, like, in comparison to the other films that were created the year it came out, 2006, a prime time for romantic comedies, um, we already discussed this film on the podcast, but The Devil Wears Prada was released the same year, and, like, you know, that movie told young women, starve yourself until you're a size zero, where at least this film told you, like, you can be as good as the boys. I don't want to sound like a broken record, because I also said this on the Legally Blonde podcast but I do think for the time period that it was released it was you know helpful and inspiring to young women um that doesn't excuse the problematic faults that it has in 2020 when we're watching it but I do think like as we've all admitted it was a fun funny thing to watch it definitely has its cringy romantic comedy moments but like I think for its time it was an empowering movie. I think that's interesting that you bring up when this movie came out because that's something I didn't really consider. And it kind of connects back to your original point about Twelfth Night premiering in the 1600s and the way in which that kind of was like a sharp left turn for a lot of Shakespearean dramas at the time. So I think it's really cool to think about the two different contexts for both the play and the movie. I also just think it's exciting that, like, even though these are a lot of the movies we've talked about on the podcast are movies that 
particularly in the time we watched them, they helped us feel empowered, but not to say all of them. Like, I prom- I never, like, I said this before, but I never watched The Devil Wears Prada as a child, and I promise it would not have made me feel empowered. But, no. like, She's the Man did make me feel empowered as a young person. Again, that speaks to my privilege as a cisgendered white woman, but at the same time, I think it's really, what is really awesome is that we're holding these movies to a higher standard. Like, we've gotten to a point where empowerment looks different than it did in 2006 I think that that is really important to name um yeah yeah and I feel like my like all-encompassing thought would be you know at that time maybe join the men's team and and be as good as the men like work hard and show them you're as good um was kind of the messaging but now like there's so much that's happened and so many female athletes and women that have set such a high standard of like we deserve it because we're already here and we already have proved ourselves that it's like no um you know sponsor and and uphold the women's team and make sure they have just as many resources as the men because that's how it should be not make someone else bend um you know and thinking back to the league that I play in no one really like I planned it because we didn't have enough women that signed up to play and you know geographically I'm in the south so you know, a women's league in DC that I played in at the Moret school, like always, always had people, but here maybe not as many people, you know, people might have work, there might be teachers who are also coaching, et cetera, all these different things. Um, but being part of the men's team, I've never felt like no one ever said, no, you can't play on our team. It was just, are you sure you want to play on the men's team? Yes, I'm sure. Like, here's my money. Okay, cool. Like I show up, I play, I do what I need to do. Um, but I have wondered what I would do if a guy came up to me and was like, why are you playing this league? Because I'm sassy too. So, you know, you know, I would talk back. <laughs> I would talk back. I'd be like, well, sir, I paid a hundred dollars just like you. So guess what? We're teammates. Like, and then you would tweet about it. Prob- probably. Yeah, get all your 18,000 followers <laughs> to bully them. My friends would not enjoy that. But no, no, everyone's been really nice. Um, and yeah, they pass you the ball. And that's all I like, ask for. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to see like kind of the evolution of that even if it's not that experience for everyone but just to see right. how I think that even though I've heard people be like wow like we still very much hear people say like women are not as athletic as men but at the same time like I think it's really for me hopeful to hear someone that's having an experience where that they're being taken as seriously as their male colleagues in in sports Tari, I wonder if you have kind of any questions that you were thinking of. Yeah, I, I guess I guess this is kind of a trope that has been was really prevalent in a lot of two thousands movies, and I think has been throughout. But um, I think it was Pete you mentioned like the parading of the women at the pizza parlor and like that being the way of proving manhood. And I just think it's so interesting that like proving manhood, proving womanhood, things that are so ingrained in like old school beliefs of gender identity are still prevalent even though like we say society has moved forward well and it's interesting too because it's like again you see the two sides of the coin where it's either hyper masculinization or hyper feminization where we're kind of supposed to make fun of monique and viola's mother for being interested in super feminine things and they're presented as like kind of shrews or like the embarrassingly feminine woman that Amy's cool girl monologue in Gone Girl is just completely bashing on. Um, and we even see Viola, who 
is our ticket like as the audience into this world and into this narrative make fun of them and so by extension we the audience are kind of encouraged to make fun of them and that mm -hmm. was something that really bothered me as well because as much as the performance of masculinity is something that's paraded and something that's praised um we don't see the same for femininity like mm -hmm. i think that we have moments like when duke is being really vulnerable that was nice i thought that that was a good change of pace and a nice moment but even then he's presented as like the quote-unquote outlier and the only thing that stops him from being perceived as like a total softy or pushover is the fact that he's really good at sports and then even up there yeah. at the end when viola is revealed to be a woman she still has to ask duke's permission to continue to play in the game mm -hmm. so yeah. i found that interesting like in today's society what are the kind of pillars of yeah I, don't, I feel like social media in itself is a place that has created kind of rigid expectations of of gender identity and of people and that's across across the spectrum across the board um yeah and i just wonder like you know if that affects other people or what other people think of that yeah i was actually reading an article um by Ann Cohen titled the disturbing message at the heart of she's the man sadly still applies today and it talked about, it's like kind of in a similar vein to this, like how the main critiques of She's the Man in its day were for Bynes's um, performance and basically how, um, and I imagine this is definitely making an assumption, but just kind of considering uh, who are, who's typically in a position of power when it comes to um, movie critics and things like movie awards. Um, and that's typically men. So I feel like the reason for this criticism was because like the portrayal of like manhood is some in some ways like very much offensive. Can y'all hear my barking dog in the background? Shout out to my dog. That's him in the background. <laughs> background. He's going up. Yeah, he's really <laughs> popping off. I personally feel like sometimes the representation of women in this film is kind of harmful and very like one dimensional. Whereas, like, we actually do get, like, a handful of dimensions of men in this film. But then um, when a woman attempts to portray their impression of a man, which I actually, this article also kind of tackled how it's supposed to be, like, satire, how Viola interprets manhood. And essentially, like, she's drawing attention on men only caring about, like, sex and... Uh, like swearing and sports and things like that um which are like I, i'm not saying they're typically male qualities but when it comes to things that are so socially acceptable like those are th things that are socially acceptable by men whereas women to like love sex as we've seen by um cardi b's latest music video like sex is not acceptable um for women necessarily and like neither swearing and like in a lot of cases neither sports unfortunately so i mean i do think that that thinking about it in that way as Amanda Amanda Bynes' character drawing attention to the problem that is like society's expectation of men makes me like this movie a little bit more um and just kind of the general societal expectations that this film needs to fit within yeah I found it interesting how um Viola when we first see her like literally the movie opened and she's playing soccer in a bikini on a beach and I was like, cool girl alert, cool girl alert, this is going to be a cool girl, you know, like, 
how we have discussed the cool girl in um, previous episodes. But then, you know, then I was like, you know what? I don't need to be immediately judging our main character and thinking that she's like being a cool girl. And then like, you realize like, oh no, she actually likes to play sports because it's her passion. She's not doing Mm -hmm. it for men. She dumps her boyfriend within the first five minutes, which was a flex that made me very happy. Um, But then, you know, we do go on to see that feminine qualities are shamed and like being a part of a debutante ball is laughable and wearing dresses is bad and whatever, whatever. Of course, this movie isn't perfect. But um, that article Nellie was talking about, what I found most interesting was how, you know, most of the time women have to teach men how to be more not soft but more emotional yet it's the opposite here where Duke almost teaches Viola like no men can't be emotional and I'm an example of that. Tari you look like you're ready to just explode so I just want to give you the floor I'm ready. No no I don't think I have anything you want to add I was just agreeing um very much about the kind of emotional aspect. I, I think this time in like COVID has really made me look within and look to a lot of my male friends and cousins and my dad and other people and say like, are you good? Like, are you good, good? Um, y'all know my cousin Simba, like I'm all up in his text, like, hey, are you okay? Are you sure? Work stressful? How's London? How's the weather? Like before I think I, I asked, cause I just like to ask people how they're doing, but now I realize the importance of really, really checking in. Um, and, and I think society has played a major part in and film too of like the cool athletic male like he doesn't show emotion you know he's just doing his thing or whatever and like what you what you said is a really great point of what we see do kind of doing the opposite of that and being a guy that shows emotions and shares how he feels and says okay I have a crush on you know this person or I, I want to do this I want to do that and, and that's just really refreshing and different um but yeah I was just agreeing that like for some reason films continue pushing the narrative that cool strong men don't show emotion and men can be cool and strong and emotional which is better for everyone well to wrap up this is a question that we have started asking at the end of each film and again I love when we have these conversations and I'm so glad that we asked this at the end because almost always my answer changes from what I initially thought at the beginning um but do you think that at the end of the day she's the man is it a feminist film yes or no yeah, so I, I was thinking, you know, kind of as we were going through our discussion of, of the beloved She's the Man film masterpiece of, I think there's moments of homophobia within the film that I didn't necessarily understand when I was younger because I didn't have, like, the the means to articulate what I was seeing and, and why, like, I didn't understand, well, you know, well, why is them hugging or them sitting together like why is that an issue because in my head it was just like oh they're friends or okay maybe they're in love like etc um but you know I was thinking of the example of when there was a spider in the room and Sebastian and Duke are like freaking out together about the spider and they get really close and I think they like are holding each other and then Duke notices and like pushes Sebastian away and freaks out and you know in thinking of like why is that a scene in the movie we're supposed to be like oh my gosh like the two dudes were hugging and were really close like no but two dudes can hug and get close and that's fine like that that's not an issue but but to play up the the movie and play up the trope that's what we're supposed to think we're supposed to dislike that situation and I think it aligns 
fairly closely to Quinn what you pointed out about um, transphobia as well and, and different moments where being trans is used as I say like as a negative but but it, it's used to like be funny or, or or be a reason why like this is wrong when obviously that is not the case y'all opened my eyes to a lot of I don't want to say false, but I think a lot of places that the film faltered because I think the overall message, at least what I took away, you know, in watching it um, when I was younger was like, do what you got to do, like love your sports, believe in yourself, work hard and it's going to work out. Right. And and then looking at it with that lens, there were a couple of things that I noticed, but maybe excluded from the narrative that I had in my head or the narrative that was pushed off the film. And so I don't know. Now I feel at the beginning I maybe would have said yes, but now I feel like no because why did she have to change herself to be the best and to be on the men's team? Because I be I be showing the boys what's up. I, listen, when I'm up there, <laughs> I don't I don't change for anyone. I don't. My water bottle is pink. My stick has pink tape on it. Like that is who I am. That is what I'm bringing to the table. Um, and yeah, looking at it now, I think I would say no, which is sad. They should make a She's the Man remake, but it's called She's the Woman, and it's just Tari playing lacrosse on a men's on a men's <laughs> One goal team. every two games, yes. I would watch that movie. <laughs> I, I, think, I just want to echo everything that you said, Tari, because I think that even though I thought this movie was problematic after I watched it, now that we've kind of dove, dived, guys, I'm a terrible English major. <laughs> Whatever. I now that we I don't know dis- either. We're also don't. from the South. We don't know anything. Our public school Stop system that. is trash. I think it's dive. Now that we've di- divin. Divin in? Oh, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> I swear, we do this every two episodes where there's some word where we're like, what? And, then and it's always for your It's yeah, literally no. always. It's been me, no. I think. You were in the writing center, Quinn. I know! <laughs> I graduated summa with an English degree. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying, but I just want to say, yes, Tari, I agree. I don't, as sad as it makes me to say this, because eight-year-old Quinn was all about this, and it probably was like a formative feminist film for me when I was young. I think that based on today's focus and need and intent to be intersectional, I don't think that it could be regarded as feminist by 2020 standards in my watching of the film. Sad squirrel hours. I love you, Amanda Bynes. Come back. Yeah, I would just agree with all of that. And I think um, something I was thinking about for a reason as this was coming up was how I remember in like middle or high school, if I said like I loved She's the Man, guys would be like, oh my God, I'd love that movie. And it would become like a weird thing. And then I would be like, oh my God, he's like, woke. I'm like, he's woke. He likes She's the Man. And now I'm kind of like, I don't really know that that was quite, like, past my test at this point. Um, So, yeah, I think to echo what everyone has said, um, elements of this film that I truly love, but also I think there could be a new and improved version. And also just for me, it's really hard at this point to be able to really put the transphobia and gender inclusivity aside. Yeah, I'm echoing everything y'all said because I think it perfectly portrays what I'm thinking. I think it is an empowering woman for certain people, especially 14 years ago, but I just don't think that, but I just don't think that for 2020 standards, you could say it's a feminist film. Also, I have something to add that has been bothering me this whole time. 
The fact that after she takes her wig off in the final half of the game, she plays soccer with her hair down. Did anyone else notice that? That yes. bothered me so bad. Yeah, and again, when she's formally on the team, like, at that point, she definitely probably could have had a hair tie. That's just right. my I mean, I mean, no one does that. No one does that, and that really bothered me. I was just looking on the 12th Night Wikipedia page to see other adaptations, and in 2001, the movie Motocross was created, which also is a 12th Night... Y'all, y'all! Motocross! And now I'm thinking, I'm like, was Motocross actually good, Tari? Was it actually good? Or have you always felt the pull of women having to prove themselves in the world by infiltrating the spaces of men and showing their worth? What? What? <laughs> I quit. I quit. Y'all, I need a day off. I need I've off. never seen that movie. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's a Disney, Disney Channel original movie. So good. It's, it's so, so good. Well, if it came out in two, 2001, I didn't watch Disney Channel then. That would not have. Motocross in this day? No. So good though. Motocross right on track. Double team. Yeah, double team. <laughs> the thirteenth year. <laughs> Wait, off. what what's the what about the Irish guy? The luck of the Irish. I, I have yes. seen luck of the Irish because when he turns into a leprechaun. Oof. Okay, yeah. sorry. We need to Yeah, no, no, sorry, sorry for no yeah. Sorry, right, we're gonna have to have you back and talk about motocross. <laughs> motocross, the other woman. Why are all my favorite movies problematic? What do you care about That's a big mood. My favorite movie is Legally Blonde, and we tore her up, you know, like, not, not every movie's perfect. Actually, there's no. no such thing as a perfect movie, so. No, as long as you right. can accept the faults of the movie while also appreciating the good parts yeah. of it, that's all we can ask. And if it's yeah. coming out today, we can hold it to a really high standard, but if it oh, came yeah. out yeah. Years, years ago. Like, I can't, wait to, hear, yeah. I like, can't like, wait to hear what y'all think of Mulan when it comes out. <gasps> I was literally oh, thinking about that. I'm so I, that's my favorite like animated Disney princess movie. And so Me I was too. very excited to know that it was doing a live. Isn't it going to cost money? Yeah, $30. That's a lot of money. I'll watch and it. I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> my sister's listening. <laughs> Slide it my way. No. Yeah, literally. If anyone wants to give me Mulan as a present. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to business. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Aww. Okay, well, I'm over. I know this has been so fun, but let's, we're going to wrap up with resources. But before we do that, Tari, is there anything you'd love to plug? Tell everyone what you're up to, what's new on Official Lax Girl, all of the things. Yeah, so as usual, I'm up to 300 million things, but we move. Um, so I recently launched my startup, Hama Beauty, and I launched officially May 1st, 2020, and things are crazy. It is awesome. I have an intern now because I was like, how can I do all these things myself? I lose my mind. Um, but what Hama is, is it's an online platform that recommends beauty and skincare products based on your age, skin tone, skin type, and your skincare concerns. So I was facing hyperpigmentation on my cheeks and my forehead. And I was overwhelmed. I just could not find what would work for me. So I was like, you know what? Let's use data and fix this. Built my platform, got my patent on my algorithm, launched, and yeah, it's, things are popping off right now. Um, so you can check that out at hamabeauty.com and then follow on Instagram at hamabeautyinc. 
and I have some pretty big press coming out this week, which I will share um, for everyone to see. But yeah, just thankful for all the love and support everyone's given me since I was a wee baby tiger at Sewanee and through now. Um, yeah, thank y'all for having me. This has been awesome. Coolest ever. I know you're literally an icon making all the big moves. We're so lucky to have you here. And yes, oh, love you. So next we'll be sharing some resources. Kate, you want to take it away? Yes, I will. Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> that sounded too much like a radio <laughs> show. <laughs> okay, so my resource I wanted to highlight this week is RISE. RISE is a nonprofit organization that educates and empowers the sports community to eliminate racial discrimination, champion social justice, and improve race relations. Through their partnerships and programs, they inspire leaders in sports to make positive change on matters of race and equality. Um, you can find their website at risetowin.org um, to find resources as well as finding ways to get involved. Today, I'm plugging the Shakespeare Youth Festival for um, one of mine and Pate's favorite professors, Dr. McPhee. Um, and the Shakespeare Youth Festival is based in Los Angeles, and it's working on building, quote, an ongoing artistic community of children slash youth who the creative process of working with Shakespeare have found a passion, a purpose, and a safe place to express themselves and gain self-worth from their collective accomplishments, end quote. So essentially what they try to do is make space for children of all sexual orientations, races, and socioeconomic backgrounds within the world of classical theater, because as we've discussed today, the gatekeepers to that world are definitely white men. And then beyond that today, it's typically a very whitewashed community within the Shakespearean realm um, in 2020. So they're doing some really cool things. If you would like to check them out, you can learn more about their mission and donate at ShakespeareYouthFestival.com. Um, they're really struggling right now in the face of COVID-19, like a lot of artists are. So if you feel so inclined, definitely give them a look. In the spirit of gender and sexual inclusivity, I'm this week I'm plugging BAGLI, which stands for the Boston Alliance of Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, and Transgender Youth. Bagley is a youth-led, adult-supported social support organization committed to social justice and creating, sustaining, and advocating for programs, policies, and services for the LGBTQ plus youth community. This is a local organization. Um, as many of y'all know, I'm in Massachusetts, so they do a lot of work in sponsoring events um, statewide and Boston-based and programs to support the LGBTQ community. So, um, I really encourage y'all to check them out, and if you have the means, please donate. Um, I'm excited to learn more about this organization as well and support it. Tari, did you have an org you wanted to plug? Um, yeah, I'm gonna do a little cross shout-out just because that's my realm, but, Yay! Um, I want to shout, I'm gonna just be naming all of them. Um, so first I want to shout out to U.S. Lacrosse. Um, U.S. Lacrosse is the governing body of the sport in the United States, and they have multiple um, different programs, including the First Stick program, which finds ways to get lacrosse sticks and sports education um, to young people in, in different communities that maybe aren't exposed to the sport. And I'm proud to be a U.S. Lacrosse Sankofa clinician. And what we do is we go to different cities and we host clinics for literally the cutest little tiny babies, all the way, not like babies, obviously they gotta be able to hold the stick, um, but all the way to high school age and we teach the game we talk about the game we play duck duck goose and all these other really fun um activities and i just yeah i'm so thankful for lacrosse and what it's it's done for me and the growth that i've 
um, had the people I've met, et cetera, um, and then some other organizations, Owls Lacrosse, Harlem Lacrosse, Bronx Lacrosse, um, Denver City Lacrosse, I'm trying to think of, oh, um, and the Yardley Love, uh, One Love Foundation, which is in memory of Yardley Love, a player um, on the UVA women's lacrosse team who was killed by her boyfriend in a domestic violence um, domestic violence incident. And yeah, they just, have, you know, US Lacrosse actually um, put up a statue in her honor on their campus. And I'm just, I'm glad that organizations that I love and support are actively working to help um, young people and, and women and one love, um, you know, does some classes about healthy relationships, and I've got gotten to sit in in some of those and learn so much through the organization. So yeah, it's just you know the lacrosse community is is coming through, and um, excited to support all these organizations. Awesome. Um, so Tari, we end every episode with a quote. Oh, okay. Wait. Yep. Got a good one. Okay. Um, so I think this is when Viola is. I think it's like when she's about to walk into Lyria and have her whole get up and that's me, bro, I'm ready, let's do this. And she's like, I'm a dude, I'm a hunky dude, I'm a badass hunky dude, like breaking <laughs> herself up before she walks in. I got this, no one's gonna push me around. And then I get pushed, I'm like, push me back, I got this. So yeah, I'm a badass hunky dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> woohoo. Well, thanks so much, Tari. She is a man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Thanks, Tari, and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.